and everybody was supposed to be taking off work yesterday. Um, but that's not always the case. <laughs> There's always the few that work. <clears throat> Nobody to mention in particular. But a very interesting weekend news-wise. I mean, th lots of strange stuff happening over the weekend. Liz Truss has now taken over for Boris Johnson in the UK, faces an immediate crisis of confidence. So, I mean, just as soon as she gets elected, you know, already has a confidence problem. This is, you know, that's going to be interesting to watch how this is, how this is going to play out in the UK. Um, then the CFO of Bed Bath & Beyond, Gustavo Arnell, you know, basically falls to it, and it was interesting how they phrased it over the weekend, that the CFO of Bed Bath & Beyond fell to his death from an 18th floor, 18 story, well, it was a 60 story building, he fell off the 18th floor. Um, it was ruled a suicide uh, over the weekend. But, you know, that's interesting because, you know, here's a stock right in the middle of that whole meme stock, you know, kind of thing that was going on. And of course, as we were talking about just over the last several weeks, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond had this huge surge uh, and as Reddit traders were basically pushing the stock and we had saw this, you know, kind of temporary rise in meme stocks, AMC, GameStop, you know, the, the typical meme stock crowd, Bed Bath & Beyond was one of those. And of course, it was kind of controversial because Ryan Cohen, who was a hedge fund manager, had taken a big stake in the company. And this is also where we talked about this, you know, this 20-something-year-old kid had uh, borrowed $27 million, made $110 million on this meme stock run-up. Um, but Ryan Cohen had taken a position in Bed Bath & Beyond and said, hey, loves the company, he's in this long-term, blah, blah, blah. And right in the middle of the run-up, he sells his entire stake. Stock falls back towards basically where it started. The entire, you know, kind of pump scheme had run up and then fallen back down to where it came from. Now the company is talking about store closures and layoffs and, you know, basically trying and, and uh, suppliers have halted shipments to the company. So the company's in a lot of trouble. And right in the midst of all this, the CFO commits suicide. So, um, you know, everybody's kind of now waiting to see what comes out of Bed Bath & Beyond next or if this was just, you know, a very unfortunate situation. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. OPEC Plus over the weekend also cut production. Now, this is interesting because we now know the half-life of a Biden fist bump. Because if you remember, a little bit less than two months ago, Joe Biden goes over to meet the Saudi prime minister and the Saudi prime minister says, yeah, we won't cut production, fist bump. Two months later, we now have a production cut at a time where really OPEC has been underproducing oil anyway, right? So one of the issues is that we've always talked about is that high oil prices are attractive for oil producers. They like high oil prices. And for a, a country like, you know, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, et cetera, um, you know, they like high oil prices because that's where their, all their billions upon billions of dollars come from. This is why their police force drives Lamborghinis. I mean, <laughs> they have lots of money all coming from oil. So uh, not surprising. We're seeing a little bit of this oil. Now, look, this is more symbolic than anything else. But what's more important is, is that really, if you take a look at what the production quotas are for OPEC, and what they're actually producing, that they are underproducing already. There was already a cut in place. Um, supply has been a bit constrained. And despite the fact that we've got high oil prices, uh, really kind of across the board, fracking has actually kind of peaked out here. We had this kind of recovery in the number of oil wells here in the States. 
that's kind of peaked out here recently, well below previous highs in terms of the number of wells that are producing oil. So again, there's lots of issues here that are supporting higher oil prices, and that doesn't look like that's going to go away, you know, kind of anytime soon. And we'll, we'll talk some more about oil here in a second. But um, one thing that, you know, of course, you know, last week, as far as the markets go, tough week as markets sold off at following Jackson Hole. So this goes back to, to Thursday before last. We have the Jackson Hole Summit. Markets uh, don't like what Jerome Powell says. He says, you know, hey, you know what? We're going to have to keep hiking rates. We have to be fairly aggressive here. We may have to cause some pain in terms of the employment, job market, etc. Markets sold off after that and then sold off this entire week. And, and actually, uh, markets tried to rally very briefly on Friday. Actually rallied fairly good out of the gate. Touched the 50-day moving average from underneath it. So this, this now has formed resistance at the 50-day moving average. And then just at the moment that we thought we were going to get a rally on Friday, uh, Russia declares they have a leak in their oil pipe or their gas pipeline. They have to shut down the entire gas supply pipeline into Europe uh, over the su supposed oil leak. You know, very convenient. Okay, so now, now, of course, we now know the real truth is, is that Russia says, oh, no, we've shut down gas supplies until you lift sanctions on Russia. So this has now become tit for tat. You want gas, lift your sanctions against Russia. We'll see what happens here. But that caused the markets to sell off on Friday. And this morning, we're going to try to get a bit of a rally out of the gate. But again, now what we've got is resistance here at the 50-day moving average. So anything back to around 4,010, let's call it 4,000 on the S&P, is going to be a challenge level for the market. So any rally back to that level of resistance, probably need to sell some some into now look markets are very oversold here on a short-term basis we got into this uh discussed this this weekend in the newsletter so if you go to the website realinvestmentadvice.com click on the newsletter link right there at the top of the page and and we go we kind of discuss this in a lot more detail we do have some you know some pretty stiff resistance here but markets are pretty oversold now after kind of two weeks of pretty tough selling we've had some very strong selling last week uh, markets have all gotten back to oversold. All the sectors, all the markets except for energy, uh, back to oversold here. So again, a bounce this morning, not going to be surprising. Futures right now are pointing higher, up about 200 points on the Dow. We'll see if that can kind of hold out because, again, one thing we've seen here is these kind of opening market rallies kind of get sold into during the day. And that's not surprising here. Uh, again, as we've talked about you know, we still have this very important sell signal in place uh, that, that we've been watching here. And, and again, these are starting to get back to oversold levels where normally we get um, a, a position in the markets for a bit stronger rally, but we still have some more work to do. Markets are oversold here, like I said, so a bounce is likely. But for now, you know, rally should be sold into. And, you know, back of a few months, about a month or so ago, we were talking about how the markets were extremely oversold, very negative sentiment. We were due for that big rally. Um, that's what we got there. And now we're working that big rally off. So, uh, again, any rally that we get here is going to be very short term. We're in a negative trend. Sell signals are in place. So there's a lot of people that got trapped in this market. They jumped back in this market thinking, you know, as the media was coming out saying, hey, the bull market's back. They all jumped in, realized the bull market's not back. Now they're now trapped. So any type of rally here, they're going to be selling into. And again, this is just going to be a good opportunity to rebalance risk, 
we're likely going to have some more challenges here over the next month or so um, as we get particularly into the midterm elections. Now, once we get past midterm elections, um, <clears throat> markets may perform a little better into year end. But then next year, We've got a lot of challenges with higher interest rates, potential for monetary policy problems, et cetera. So again, we've, we've got a lot of work to do in this market. So just be a little bit wary here, be a little bit more conservative um, in your portfolio allocations as well. Um, when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about where oil is right now and potentially kind of what happens next. Despite this uh, OPEC production cut, oil, oil didn't really respond much. And we'll talk about why uh, when we come back from the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, for The Real Investment Show. Get by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the newsletter link, get our latest newsletter, and our latest blog post is on the website this morning talking about why we're going to have more of a decline in earnings over the next few months. That's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. the show this morning it is uh 6 17 is um i gotta get this tuesday edition right, come on wake up time to get back to work here you know it is a holiday shortened week so be happy about that right so friday will be back here before you know it tomorrow's already hump day you're already halfway there so just uh just just kick it out get it get it on we'll all be <laughs> fine so um uh, like i said before the break i said we talked a little bit more about oil this morning um kind of an interesting thing so you know, as, as I said, Russia has admitted already that the weaponization of, you know, natural gas is they've basically shut down the supply pipeline to the, to, to the EU until sanctions are lifted. And now, of course, the EU is now preparing a series of responses. Germany's coming out with a $65 billion inflation-fighting package. Uh, the EU's looking to bail out you know, a variety of, of company, uh, you know, electric companies, et cetera. So, uh, again, you know, the response to inflation is more inflation-causing issues, right? If you inject more capital into the markets, look, I, I understand that people are hurting because of inflation, but if you give them more money to weather inflation, it is doing exactly the opposite of what you want it to do, which is to cut demand, right? So what we're trying to do is, and again, if you take a look at the Jackson Hole responses, right? So they, they talked to all the, you know, the Jackson Hole Taxpayer Funded Summit, right? 
We fly everybody in from all over the world, the EU, et cetera. They all come in. They all sit around the central bankers, and they talk about what they're going to do. Well, they've all talked about higher interest rates and hiking interest rates in order to cut demand, in order to cut inflation, right? So how do we get inflation to come down? Well, we get people to cut demand. Well, if you give people money, that's going to keep demand elevated. So you're doing exactly the opposite of what that of what you're trying to accomplish by doing all these bailouts. But look, I get it, right? You know, people are hurting. We want to help people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But just understand, there's a consequence. You can't bail out all these, you know, companies and and provide people capital and expect them to cut demand, right? It's just not going to happen. But it's interesting because, again, we're we're seeing a lot of that kind of response and it's and it's like did did we not learn the lessons from 2020 2021 and and apparently that answer is no we have not learned those lessons <laughs> because we're going to keep doing the same things but this is also part of that entire kind of shift in mentality for moving the world from capitalism to a, a very rapid approach to socialism. And, and this is, you know, kind of this trend of policy that we're going into is that, well, you know, people, you know, we just need to give people more money and they can, can work less and they can do more things they enjoy. And, you know, these are all fine. You know, these, these kinds of, of, of statements are fine. But again, this all comes down to the fact that ultimately somebody has to pay that price. And somebody is going to suffer the consequence of you know these this free money these uh, green policies that you know don't really promote anything other than a move towards socialism and and this is and this becomes you know the kind of the unwinding of the economic prosperity that has set the US head and shoulders above every other country in the world and look, there's also why every other country in the world hates the U.S. is because of this massive amount of wealth disparity. But it was interesting over the weekend, you know, OPEC came out and said, you know, they're going to cut production. Now, again, as I said a moment ago, this was about two months after the Saudi prime minister fist bumped Joe Biden and said, yeah, we won't cut production. Two months later, they're not cutting production. And it's interesting because oil, a couple of things going on here. So I've got a chart of oil um, kind of just to, to show you a little bit of, of where we are is, you know, oil sitting right now on very important support. And, and we've, we've kind of just been, you know, trading below the 20 day moving average. Now, markets are pretty over oil is pretty oversold here on a short term basis. Um but we've got some we've got a couple of sell signals in place as well. So again, it suggests that we might see lower oil prices here in in the near term and that wouldn't really kind of be surprising because we're kind of working through that process. But this decline in oil prices is why you're starting to see like OPEC come out and say, "Hey, you know, we need to cut production here." Kind of get those prices back up. They like higher price, you know, higher oil prices for oil companies are good, right? Oil companies just reported really strong profit growth in the first and second quarter. In fact, had it not been for oil companies, we would have had negative earnings growth already, right? So again, you know, oil companies have been doing very well because of high oil prices, and they certainly don't want to see that go away anytime soon. But oil prices here are oversold. 
And again, it's not. It's kind of interesting. You know, we saw this production cut over the weekend from OPEC. Oil prices really aren't responding. They're they're a little bit down this morning. You know, kind of almost on the flattish side, but really haven't seen that that effect. You know, you, you would expect if with the world kind of in the position they're in now, OPEC comes out, cuts production, all of a sudden you get a four or five dollar jump in oil prices, and that was kind of the initial response when OPEC first announced their production cut over the weekend futures were up about three dollars a barrel um giving up all that this morning we'll see how the markets kind of open and trade today but you know again this is you know ultimately a supply and demand game and if you take a look at what's happening between natural gas oil etc you know there's there's clearly a shortage you know, at this at this point in time, and and now, of course, because of what Russia is doing, this is only going to get worse for Europe. But you know, the, these are these this is you know these commodity markets are in a deflationary mode at the moment, and those prices are coming down. And as central banks are continuing to hike rates to crimp demand, that's going to bring these prices down further, unless <laughs> unless of course. You start doing a lot of these bailouts where we're going to start bailing out, you know, which is kind of interesting, right? We're going to start bailing out utility companies who we hate, right, because they're not green. But we're going to bail them out to keep them in business so they'll keep producing energy because we're so dependent on the electricity and energy that they provide. So, you know, it's a very interesting kind of double-edged sword. You know, we hate all these companies because they pollute the planet, supposedly. Lots of arguments against that, by the way. Um but, you know, uh, when you need them, you know, we're, they're the first companies we're going to bail out because, you know, it, it all sounds good on the surface to be green and do all this other stuff. It's wonderful. It's awesome. No problem with it until you can't heat your house or you can't drive your car or you can't, in a, you know, kind of inter- the, the interesting conundrum right here, right? You know, it's California. They've put a ban on all new ice engine cars and now they've also cut back on how much you can charge your EV because of energy shortages. So be careful what you wish for. So these these are the problems. It was interesting too over the weekend we were coming back and and we we were driving it's just pouring down rain. Just I mean just it was just buckets of rain. You could barely even see what's going on. And you know as as <laughs> You know, when you pull up to a to a gas station, right? The the gas station generally the the pumps are covered, and there's generally a covered walkway into the store, right? So there's this place called the big store down in Galveston, and it's half a grocery store, half of an Ace Hardware. Go figure. It's only in Galveston. Anyway, it's pouring buckets of rain, just torrential, and they've got some superchargers, which are across the parking lot, uncovered, and there's this one poor guy trying to charge his, his Tesla and then run across his parking lot. Everybody else is parking under the cover to get gas and go get groceries, right? So somebody's got to figure out there to move the chargers a little closer. <laughs> Charging your EV in a thunderstorm. Yeah. What could possibly go <laughs> wrong? Possibly go wrong? And, the pro- and the reason they can't move them closer yeah. is because it takes too long to charge, right? right. I mean, you, yeah. you, you'll block too much traffic. Right. So, yeah. you know, you can't do it. But anyway... Just the irony of it. The, 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 again, charging your EV in a thunderstorm. What could go wrong? Absolutely nothing. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Um, but anyway, just keep a watch on oil prices. Look, uh, we are getting very oversold here. And, you know, I think there's we're probably getting set up here. If oil can hold these kind of current levels right around 82-ish uh, in oil prices, there's some decent support if we get down, you know, back towards, you know, these levels that we saw back in, in, in kind of late October of 21. And we're kind of sitting on, on, on kind of that kind of that peak of that point. So if oil prices can hold here, there's a really good possibility we're going to see oil rally back up towards $100 a barrel. We'll see what happens here. But again, you know, we're oversold enough to have a nice rally. But again, we're still kind of on short-term sell signals. But these sell signals are very oversold. So oil's kind of working its way into a position that we could see a fairly strong kind of year-end rally, particularly as demand goes up for oil. Um, as we get into the colder winter, particularly as in January, February, March, and we start having more, more demand for heating oil and, and, and natural gas and others, we could start to see oil prices rise again. It's still a supply and demand problem at the end of the day, but with oil prices now having gotten pretty oversold here, um, you know, a counter trend rally in oil prices, not surprising. In fact, you know, this is why we recently just added some additional exposure to our energy shares in our portfolio. Probably going to do that again. Um, you know, but we're kind of watching to see if the support holds first before we make that move. Um, anyway, all right, come back from the break. Talk about, you know, what's going on with the markets here, what to, kind of what to expect next. Um, so don't go away. More of the Real Investment Show coming up. When we talk about the earnings decline, we're not likely done with that just yet. That's our blog post out this morning. We'll talk about it when we come back from the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com it's back to school time and for your high school student it's time to fill out the infamous fafsa form for college financial aid mistakes could cost you money our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid the fafsa register now for this free lunch and learn with danny ratliff and chris liebham thursday september 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, you know, one of the things that you know, we still have to work through as, and, and when we talk about, particularly about market valuations, we talk about investing and all those type of things, we're all kind of just hoping this bear market will get over with, right? Just so we can go back to things being normal. And, you know, 2020 is going to, you know, 2022 is going to go down a year, the year it sucked um, in terms of the markets. Now, you know, importantly, you know, look, it's been a tough year. 
uh, in, in the markets. And this is one of those years where kind of no matter what you do, it just doesn't really seem to work out very well. And, you know, that's just kind of part of investing over time. And, you know, we get so used to the up years where every year just, ah, just throw money in the markets and markets go up. And, you know, it's funny because every time we get into one of those markets and I start seeing a lot of Facebook posts from people going, you know, investing so easy, a caveman can do it. You know, that typically tells you that we've kind of reached that peak exuberance on one side. And so this year was not unsurprising. We were writing articles about this last year saying, hey, look, you know, everything is just way too exuberant. We're, and we're going to have to have a correction here at some point. And so here we are in this correction now. You know, everybody hates everything, right? And, and I get it, right? It's just the way the markets work. But, you know, what's important is that when things get out of balance in one direction, they've got to rebalance back in the other direction, and they tend to go too far. And right now, we're still in that process, and, and particularly when it comes down, we start talking about valuations as an example. You know, that is, you know, we talk about valuations, it's price divided by earnings. That's what it is. So what's the price of the market today, right? So whatever the price is today, tomorrow, next week, whatever, you know, you divide that by earnings. So if the price of the market is 1000 and you have $100 worth of earnings on the S&P, then your valuation is 10 times earnings, right? Historically speaking, going back to 1900, the average valuation runs around 16 times earnings. And, you know, that's, you know, has been elevated. It used to be much lower than that. It used to be closer to 9 to 10 and it's been elevated a lot because of the fact that since really about 1995, we've consistently been running well above 20 times earnings. And so the last 23, 25, 27 years has lifted the entire long-term average higher. In fact, you know, if you go back and look at 1929, 1972, kind of those periods, peak valuations were around 23 times earnings. Now we're talking about valuations at 42 times earnings in the dot-com crash. We're talking about 30 times earnings today, even after this correction. So, you know, these, these higher valuations have now lifted the long-term average. Also, the change in how we look at earnings. We used to look at earnings as what we call gap earnings, which are generally accepted accounting principles. And we looked at trailing earnings, and that's how we value companies based on gap accounting standards. Then in about the late 90s, we said, you know, that's that really kind of understates earnings a lot. And, and we kind of really want to be more optimistic. So Wall Street started promoting forward operating earnings. Forward operating earnings are earnings before all the bad stuff, right? Like paying bills. <laughs> Those type of things. Uh, forward operating earnings are earnings as we wish they could be. Earnings. So we started using these forward operating earnings and said, well, based on forward operating earnings, then, you know, I think X is going to be the valuation. So here's the problem with forward operating earnings. As we've talked about before, analysts are always overly optimistic. And so if, if I came out today and let's say, the, let's go back to our example, the market's trading at 1,000 on the S&P. And I said, look, the market's trading at 1000 on the S&P, and I think companies are going to earn $10 a share over the next year. So that makes valuations cheap at 10 times earnings. I mean, if you can get 10 times earnings, you buy that all day long, right? 
The problem is, is that's based on what I think is going to happen, not is what is actually going to happen. And here's what happens with earnings consistently over time is that I say they're going to be at 10. And by the time that we get to the end of next year, my 10 has now become five and valuations are no longer 10. They're now 20. Assuming the price of the market is still at 1000 but that's not what happens, right? So when we start using these forward earnings and we go ramp up prices and we get, you know, prices go up from 1000 to 2000 earnings wind up going from 10 to 5 and now no longer am I at, you know, 20 times earnings. I'm now at 40 times earnings. I'm like super overvalued. And it's like, what happened? I was buying cheap a year ago, right? Because you were buying on an estimate. And those estimates are always too high. And so those estimates have to come down to impact with reality and that's where we are now um getting into the real world you know last year as of as of the end of last year right analysts were expecting the s p to earn 242 dollars a share by the end of 2023 those actually were ramping up as we got into june and july right actually june since June, earnings per estimate 2023 have come down from 242 to 214, and they're continuing to fall. So if you were buying the market based on $242 a share just a couple of months ago, guess what? You way overpaid for earnings because now they're at 214. We're likely going to see those closer to 180 to 190 by the time we get into next year, particularly with the Fed hiking rates. Earnings estimates have to decline. And they will decline. And currently, right now, we have the largest deviation on record in terms of earnings. Historically, going back through history and going all the way back to 1900, earnings typically grow from peak to peak. So, if I, you know, when earnings peak at one point in time, then they decline. And then they peak at a later point in time, and then they decline, right? Earnings oscillate because of what's going on in the economy, right? So from peak to peak, earnings tend to grow at about 6% annually. Currently, estimates are above that long-term exponential 6% 6 annual growth trend. And so they're going to have to correct. They typically correct to the bottom of that trend, which you know, right now suggests that earnings could actually fall as far as about $80 a share. Now, that would be a major economic recession, so I'm not saying that's going to happen. But historically, that's not uncommon. And again, you'll need a, a pretty severe economic recession to see that big of a drop in earnings, so I'm not predicting that's going to happen. But historically speaking, earnings tend to revert from peak to trough. And so staying defined in those long-term exponential trends, that's where it says it should go. And, and certainly anything's possible, and I wouldn't rule it out entirely, but going from $200 a share to 80 that's a big drop, right? Normally during an economic recession, you see about a 50% reduction in earnings, and that would put you know earnings somewhere around $120 a share, and that would be a pretty big drop. But again, if you start thinking about where the market's trading currently and then apply that to $120 a share, $150, pick a number, it doesn't matter, suggests that prices are going to have to come lower before they go higher. 
to align those valuations with what earnings are likely going to be next year and why will earnings be lower next year well you got the fed hiking rates right why, why is the fed hiking rates again let's go back the, the fed just hiking rates just because no the fed's hiking rates in order to slow demand and i slow demand by getting you to stop spending as much hike rates make things more expensive you can't borrow as much. You don't want to borrow as much. You don't want to pay as much for a house because now mortgage rates have gone up, right? Don't want to pay as much for a car because auto loans have gone up. So all those prices have to come down. As prices come down, that means people are buying less. That means what? That earnings are less. So earnings have to come down by the very nature that we've got the Federal Reserve doing exactly what they're trying to do, which is to slow economic demand. So earnings have to come down some more. And analysts have not caught up with that reality yet. There's still a lot of exuberance that somehow corporate profit margins and corporate earnings are going to remain elevated despite what the Fed is doing. And that just historically doesn't work out that way. It also logically doesn't work out that way. Corporate profit margins are very elevated currently because why? Think about it for a moment. We shut down the economy. And then we injected people with a whole bunch of cash. So people were going out buying a bunch of stuff that we didn't have, which meant the prices went way up. And since I had less staff, I had less people to pay, which did what to my margins? Higher prices, lower expenses. What happened to my margins? We had blowouts in margins for companies. That's unsustainable. As demand falls, prices have to fall. Margins are going to shrink. Inflation is going to eat in. I can't pass on as much of inflation to consumers. Wages are sticky. So once I'm paying people more, it's hard to go back and give people pay cuts. I mean, it's like, hey, I, I just gave Brent a raise. Hey, Brent, sorry, I got to cut your pay, right? People don't like that very much. So wages are sticky, which eats into profit margins. So that's, that's the juxtaposition of our article this morning. It's on the website talking about why we have earnings still further to fall. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham, Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
Well, futures are pointing up a bit, just a tad this morning. S&P's up about 21 points. Dow's up about 180 points this morning. Uh, again, you know, we'll we'll see how things look when we actually get closer to the open. Um, typically, between about 7:30 and 8, you typically start to see kind of positions. You know, futures starting to kind of firm up towards the market's going to actually open. So, again, a little bit early here. We've still got a, a, you know about 45 minutes till we get to that point. Um, also, make sure you get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com and subscribe to our daily market commentary uh, right there on the homepage. Um, and the reason is that every morning we put out a market trading update, talk about where markets are, what kind of expect next. And again, if you take a look at what happened last week, we're very oversold here on a short-term basis. Um, the good news is, is we might get a bounce here, and a bounce towards the 50-day moving average would not be surprising at all. Um, however, I would sell that, and particularly as we move into the month of September and October, those tend to be weaker months anyway. Um Europe has basically gone on vacation now for the most part. And, you know, we're trying to get, you know, moving into the end of the year. And there's a lot of potential here now with the Federal Reserve. We've got the FOMC policy meeting at the end of the month. You know, are they going to hike 50 basis points, 75 basis points? Nobody knows for sure. Um, after the recent speech, a 75 basis point hike certainly wouldn't surprise anyone of course, the risk is, is that they remain hawkish, right? So it's not just the rate hike that's important. It's also what they say. And, you know, after their meeting at Jackson Hole, doesn't look like we're going to get a reprieve in rate hikes anytime soon. So once we get the September meeting, then we have a November meeting, another rate hike potentially. Now, at some point, you should certainly expect the pace of rate hikes to slow, right? Just only so much you can... Only so far you can hike rates before you really start breaking something. That's, you know, we may be getting closer to that than not, but we're just not there yet. And, you know, this is going to be one of the challenges for the Federal Reserve, which is how to balance those rate hikes. And we've talked about this before, but as we see this economic data coming in, now we're seeing a little bit better economic data, right? Uh, jobs report was good. You know, we're still seeing jobless claims fairly strong. And a lot of this trailing economic data that we're looking at still looks okay, right? And and again, we, we had a kind of a, a very weak first and second quarter, so a bit of a bounce in economic data in the third quarter as we have back-to-school shopping and as we have all this other stuff going on. Won't be a surprise. Right now, the Atlanta Fed's predicting about 2.3%-ish growth for, the, for Q3. And that wouldn't be surprising at all. Right. Because you had the, and then you got you got the fourth quarter, which tends to be good. But, you know, so again, you know, we'll see this little bounce in economic data. And before you breathe that sigh of relief, realize that all these rate hikes that we're having, right, the, the 75 basis point hikes, all these hikes since March. Whatever's going to happen in September. Those don't show up for six to nine to 12 months. So these rate hikes aren't even in the economy yet. We haven't even seen the effect of those come through the economy. That's going to happen next year. And so the big risk that the, the Fed is running is looking at this trailing economic data going, oh, everything looks great, right? Look at employment. It's awesome, right? It's plenty strong. All this economic data is great. You know, manufacturing's good and employment's good. But we haven't seen the impact of those rate hikes yet. So they're looking at this trailing economic data and they're hiking rates and there's this kind of collision that's coming. And, you know, we don't know exactly where at what point that, you know, it's always it's like a it's like a game of Jenga. 
right? And so here you've got all these, you know, all these blocks that are stacked up and they're very precarious in their nature, right? So all your blocks are the employment data, they're the economic data, they're all this stuff. And then the rate, and so the rate hikes are pulling one of these blocks out at a time, right? Here's the problem that the Fed faces is that as they're hiking rates, that's them pulling out a block. And for the Fed, because the data is lagging, their game of Jenga is they're going to pull out a block and then nine months later, the, the market's going to crash. Well, they've still been pulling out blocks, right? Because they don't realize that they've gone too far because the, da the data has not caught up to their rate hikes. And this is why there's a real risk of a monetary policy. So, you know, as they're pulling out these blocks, they're hiking these rates. And, and let's say that, that at 3% on the Fed funds rate, that was the rate that broke the camel's back. Well, they won't know that for six months. So they keep hiking rates. And it makes the situation worse. Because by the time that the, the economy catches up with the rate hikes, it's too late. And this is why the Fed then gets in this problem of having to cut rates rather quickly to try to reduce that. But even rate hike, rate cuts take time to show up in the economy. So there's this big battle of, of this time lag that occurs between monetary policy and economic policy and the markets. <clears throat> so here's the problem that we face. Everybody in the market's hinging on this idea that, oh, as soon as the Fed cuts rates, or in fact, if the Fed just stops hiking rates, that'll be the bottom of the market. And that's not really true. The bottom of the market is when the Fed stops cutting rates, because when the Fed stops hiking rates or begins to cut rates, that means there's things coming apart in the economy and stocks aren't going to like that. So the, it's, it's likely that the markets and look, every time this time could be different, right? Maybe this time the market, you know, the Fed stops hiking rates and they, they stop just in time and, and everything's perfect. And they actually engineer a soft landing for the first time ever. But the risk is that we're going to see a period where the economic data is far weaker than expected, earnings decline further than expected, market prices have to fall to adjust for that, and the Fed will be cutting rates in order to rebalance monetary policy to what the economy really is at the time. In other words, trying to stop a recession. And that is when we'll see the bottom in asset prices. But that means we probably have more to go on the downside before we get there. But again, you know, be careful. It doesn't mean that you can just run out and start shorting markets and go, oh, well, Lance said the market's going to go down some more. There's no guarantee of that. And there's a lot of a lot of different outcomes that could occur. But, you know, just logic suggests that we've got some work to do in order, and as the article shows out today, we've got some work to do before earnings actually bottom, which means that prices need to come down some more to rebalance valuations for what the market is priced for currently versus what earnings are actually going to be in 12 to 18 months. And so when you, and if you take a look at where earnings are today, this, you know, just call them $200 a share. That's, you know, probably a little more than that, but just, you know, round numbers. 
and the market's at 4,000, right? So, I mean, if, if the market stays where they are and earnings go to, you know, 180, 150, you know, valuations are going to be well north of 40. So, so it's just, you know, keeping prices where they are currently <clears throat> as earnings decline is going to be problematic. Now, if earnings don't decline and somehow magically we can go through a recession and maintain earnings levels where they are, and look, anything's possible. I don't want to say they're not possible. If analysts are right that companies can continue to maintain record profit margins, you know, this is a different game. It's just going to be the question of, of where we get to. And, and again, this is, this is going to be part of the problem with this idea that I can just buy and hold invest in this market that's going to be challenging. And this kind of whole environment may be, you know, this may be not just a 2022 tough market. This may be a 2022 tough market and a 2023 tough market. This could be a couple, this could be 18 to 24 months of this kind of this grind of just, you know, wringing the markets out. And that's a very tough environment to invest in. And this is where people just typically kind of give up on markets in, in a lot of cases. And, and again, you know, whenever and again, I was writing articles over the last couple of years talking about the exuberance of the markets. Right. You know, people emailing is like, well, you know, why do I need an advisor? I can just throw money in the markets and make money. If I come quit my job and just become a day trader. It's interesting. I got, a, I got an email over the weekend. A young gentleman emailed me. He's like, hey, I'm. 33, and I really like trading in the markets, and I just kind of want to do this full time. And I'm like, don't do it with your own money. And the reason is, is that people who trade accounts, I'm, not talking, about, I'm talking about professional traders, they last on average about two to three years before they blow up. Because markets will eventually go against you. And, you know, if you're trading other people's money, it's one thing. If you're trading your money, it's an entirely different thing. But People that trade markets on a regular basis and like, you know, try to day trade as an example, they typically don't last long. Now, can you be a long-term investor? Yes, right? And you can manage money and you can buy stuff and you can make money with markets over time as long as your expectations are reasonable and you balance your risk and your reward. And I know a lot of people that do that very well. But again, day trading kind of where you're swinging for the fences on a constant basis and again, you can just take a look at all the Reddit traders. This is a good example of this. You know, they they had the tiger by the tail in 2020, 2021. Not so much today. And that's how markets work. Markets are very gracious. Markets will give you a lot. They will also take it away very quickly. Kind of like a divorce. <laughs> Ask Johnny Carson. <laughs> All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Um, be sure by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog post is out on why earnings have to decline more. That's on the website now, along with our latest newsletter, talking about how the bear market rally turned out to be just that, and the bears were right, and what happens next. We go through all that and more at, the, uh, at our newsletter. So simply go by the website, get the bull bear report by clicking the newsletter link at the top of the page, and our daily commentary under insights. It's all there for you realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.